0: What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things, and as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there Creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started PictureLock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR, finally, a partner as passionate as you. It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the World Famous Award-Winning Show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. This week, I have a jam-packed episode. In fact, it's so packed that I can't manage to get it all in one hour for radio, so you'll definitely want to check out the podcast as I talk with Picture Lock contributor Julia Morales. We talk about her love for documentary filmmaking and her latest documentary. Julia also talked with Gabe Polsky, director of In Search of Greatness, about his documentary, which is in theaters today. I talked with Chief Instigating Officer Dan Brawley of the Cucalorus Festival about what we can expect to see next weekend, November 7th through 11th, at the festival that is still standing strong in its 24th year in Wilmington, North Carolina. Which is pretty awesome because this city was hit hard by Hurricane Florence this year. So mark your calendars for next weekend, film lovers. And if my talk with Dan isn't enough to convince you to check it out, my conversation with one of my new best friends, General Lorenzo, surely will. Jenna is the director of Les Bomb, a hilarious new comedy about coming home and coming out. The film will be playing at the Kukaloris Film Festival, which is quite coincidental because at the time we recorded, Jenna and I, I had no idea that it would be playing, and so this all just worked out well. You'll definitely want to hear the Picture Lock after show conversation that I had with Jenna, which I'll drop Monday on the podcast. I've got the Picture Lock question of the week from last week, My, 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 I told you it was a PAX one. (laughs) And that's all ahead on Picture Lock.
1: Hi, this is Andy Edmonds, director of the Virginia Film Office, and you're listening to Picture Lock.
0: You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and on the line with me, I have filmmaker, recent American University graduate, and Picture Lock contributor, Julia Morales. Julia, welcome to Picture Lock.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: (laughs) I'm glad to finally have you on, introduce you to the audience. Julia, as you may know, first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film?
1: Um, I would have to say when I was a kid. I always watched at least a movie a day, and with that, I ended up, you know, just becoming a film lover, and then that grew into loving mob movies, (laughs) and gradually I just started getting into documentaries, and now I'm a documentary filmmaker.
0: So you watched one movie every day as a kid, for real?
1: I did, yeah. I used to watch mostly Disney movies, but I ended up watching a bunch of old classics as well, like Gone with the Wind. I don't know why my mom let me watch that, but she really thought that we should <laughs> know about that history. So, <laughs> And
0: you sat through that whole thing as a kid. I haven't even sat through it as an adult yet.
1: Oh, That's yeah, awesome. I loved that. The two, the two VHSs, I used to love those, love those types of movies, <laughs> like Titanic, you know, that was another one.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah, the longer the better. Yeah, exactly. And I, I totally remember. My dad used to have this, um, like you know, those little containers that go under your bed, and it was like full of all these VHS tapes. And like you're right, like Malcolm X was like a dual VHS um, box and all that stuff. Man, that's good, good memories. All right, Julia, so take us from the little girl that's watching a movie a day into the documentary filmmaker. How did you get into the industry?
1: Well, I um, realized that I could actually have a job in filmmaking, and that's what kind of sparked that interest. I started making horror films first when I was in undergrad, and I got really popular around the Twin Cities for the horror films that I made. And after that, I was like, I kind of want to make a difference with the films that I make after I studied um, third third wave cinema. And then from there, I ended up making more documentaries than than fictional films. And um, now I'm I classify myself as a documentary filmmaker, but I still dabble in fiction for sure. I love horror that'll never stop, you know.
0: All right. So yeah. I got to ask, uh, can I see any of these horror films online?
1: <laughs> They're a little graphic So <laughs> <laughs> I try not to keep them associated with me But if you want to see them I send them out to people all the time as If they request, you know So that's that's mostly by request
0: <laughs> Okay, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha you, got you. Yeah, well definitely, uh, off air You gotta send me one of these links uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock I am talking with Filmmaker and Picture Lock Contributor, Julia Morales Julia, um You have recently completed a documentary. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I created this documentary um, about one of my interests. I was actually a farmer as a kid on top of watching all these movies. I've always been involved with uh, gardening and, you know, really getting, you know, connected with the earth. So I decided for my thesis, for my master's thesis at American, that I would create this documentary about urban agriculture. And talk about the sustainability across the United States and how we can do it from city to city. So I started in Minnesota and filmed all over Minnesota and Minneapolis and St. Paul, and uh, went from there to California and filmed from all the way from Santa Barbara to San Francisco. I drove that entire state, oh, and wow. then um, yeah, it was crazy. I did it and in, I interviewed eleven people in nine days, so I was able to get a lot in. And then from there, um, now I am, well, I finished interviewing people around D.C., and now I'm uh, submitting the film to festivals
0: internationally. Man, that's awesome. So if you could, for the audience that's listening that might not know what urban agriculture is, uh, what is that?
1: Growing It's as simple as, as uh, growing your own food, you know, growing your own food in an urban setting and in the cities and making it a sustainable practice to have your own source of, you know, food and stuff for some people source of income. But um, I was really interested in this because I learned about all the different ways of growing food in the, in the city and how easy it is, quite frankly, um, from container gardening to rooftop gardening to, you know, just, you know, regular gardening in, um, in a plot, but it's, uh, it's definitely got its different varieties that you can look into. And DC is really interesting because they're really trying to support urban agriculture. Whereas a lot of cities aren't, um, they have a requirement now that you have to, every new building has to have green space on the rooftop. So that's like astronomical to think about, you know, in a city like this. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so it's, you know, I'm really interested in just in kind of getting involved with saving the environment with my filmmaking, so.
0: Uh, That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And I was going to ask for some practicals for DC, but that's really good to hear. So, going to kind of wrap out here. First off, we're going to get into your interview with Gabe Polsky, uh, the director of In Search of Greatness. Um, Could you set that up for the audience?
1: Yeah, um, In Search of Greatness was, uh, I didn't really know much about it when I initially went to the screening, but I was floored by the subject matter. It was just really engaging and interesting. Um, He talks about some of the greatest athletes in the world, but he also interviews some of the greatest athletes in the world, you know, like uh, Wayne Gretzky, Jerry Rice, um, and even Pele. And I was just so surprised that he could even get these people to sit down and talk with him. But Mm Um, he himself is a filmmaker but also a D1 hockey uh, player from Yale so he has his own expertise and perspective that he can weigh in as a filmmaker and as a director Um, so it's a really interesting film from a perspective that you don't often get to see which is what I really appreciated
0: awesome Filmmaker and Picture Lock contributor Julia Morales. Julia, first, thanks for all you've done. I really appreciate how you <laughs> contribute to the site. And, you know, it's awesome doing interviews now and all that good stuff. Um, if you could, yeah. let folks know how they can follow you on social media and find your work.
1: Um, well, you can follow me on uh, Facebook at Julia P. Morales, or you can follow me on Instagram. I am J Moto, that's M0T0. Or you can also follow me as Miss Julia Page. That's M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-A-P-A-I-G-E. So I've got a variety.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. If you can remember that, I'll definitely have it in the show notes. Julia, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much.
2: People who achieve real greatness don't fit the formula at all. In fact, they break the mold. they never. Accept that the wars are of a teacher. The great players have um, a personality that shines through in their technique and how they apply it in their sense of artistry. What they're doing isn't just taking part in a game; it's also a performance. There are what appear to be many paradoxes. Rocky Marciano was
1: shorter and had a very short reach. I had to get low to get in close on an opponent. He never lost. Do you feel like you have better genetics
0: than (laughs) No.
3: I didn't have that strength and size. Part of my creativity was survival.
0: All right, guys, so we're going to jump on into the interview with Picture Lock contributor Julia Morales and director Gabe Polsky. In Search of Greatness is out in theaters today. Now, as it goes sometimes with uh, press interviews, they actually recorded in uh, the bottom of the hotel after uh, In Search of Greatness had screened the night before. Julia was able to go to the screening and participate in the Q&A. But when it came down to doing the actual interview, unfortunately, it was in the hotel lobby. Um, So you will hear a little bit of noise. I tried to cut down on some of that but still it's a great interview without further ado we're going to jump on into it
4: when did you first fall in love with filmmaking
3: um so i i was a political science major in college and i you know was more sort of Focused on sport initially to see how far I could push uh, sport. And then my roommate in college was a improv and sketch comedy uh, performer. Well, obviously, we're in school, so he was going to school. But he, you know, I would see him edit videos and, uh, you know, perform all the time. And I, I just basically was interested. He, that kind of sparked an interest in film, entertainment, you know comedy actually at that point and you know i always was sort of a i guess a troublemaker in school and sort of always i don't know seeking not necessarily seeking attention but i like to make people laugh and kind of entertain people and so i think naturally i was interested in storytelling and Hmm. entertainment and that's i just so actually so from at the end of my senior year i you I know, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I didn't want to go to law school or Wall Street which most people seem to be doing and I, I kind of was looking around to figure out what I think I thought I would be good at and I, that I could be passionate about for a long time and, and I just kind of dove into film and entertainment and sort of tried to understand what I thought I could do well.
4: Wow, okay. Yeah. So um, so what inspired you to create In Search of Greatness?
3: Um, so. You know, I like I said, I, I played a Division One sport in college, and and you know, you know, wanted to basically see how far I could go with sport, and as a result, I was always thinking about um, themes of sort of what is greatness and how can it be cultivated, and, and sort of why certain people succeed and others don't, or, or succeed on sort of the greatest level, um, and you know also i always felt that for some reason you know in sports creativity wasn't something that was uh, talked about much and as a kid i always appreciated the creative aspects of sports when i went to the to the stadium i would always watch for somebody who was doing something you know magical or different or some kind of different expression of creativity all the players that i would like were were the ones that were you know, really kind of entertaining performers—guys like Muhammad Ali, and you know, this guy Dennis Savard was a hockey player. Gretzky, Jerry Rice, guys like Odell Beckham—I was always watching for those guys. But for some reason, no one was ever t- talking about creativity in my from my childhood uh, sports experience, and even <laughs> up until college, it was sort of frowned upon. And so. I always thought that it was the essence of sport and the essence of greatness, um, and no one was ever talking about it. So I I remained kind of baffled by this and, and, and wanted people to kind of know about this. And so basically, I went to, uh, I knew that no one was going to really listen to me and sort of my ideas, and I I wanted to know if the greatest athletes ever also felt this way, and, and felt that, you know, creativity was really kind of the foundation for greatness. Interesting. That's really interesting.
4: How did you narrow down what you wanted to, who you wanted to interview? What was that process like?
3: So you know it was very difficult to get these athletes they're obviously the greatest of all time they get requests all the time even even though i made a film prior that was successful it still was like took me almost a year just to get uh get to these athletes and get them to agree to do it um and you know it's, it's just about uh, persistence and you know so i was able to get you know wayne gretzky who was obviously a childhood uh, I guess Idol you know Jerry Rice same thing greatest of all time receiver and then Pele greatest soccer player but you know I did go after other people that I didn't get and I just named some of them Serena Williams Steffi Graf Willie Mays Michael Jordan you know um, you know but in filmmaking you can't you know you got to work with what you have and what you're able to get and, and I felt at a certain point that I had enough even though I only had uh, basically an hour and 20 minutes on average with these athletes you know I, I was able to put together a, you know the film that I wanted to do and uh, so basically that's what happened
1: wow, okay
4: um, yeah I totally get that with uh, documentaries yeah. you kind of just get yeah. who you can get to interview and sometimes but that... they did
3: really inspire me these guys are were yeah. I was happy when I got when I got all those three I felt I have enough meat on the bone to to tell the story. Totally. Yeah.
4: I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, because the people that you got in general are amazing, great, like nobody will ever do what they did again, especially with, like you talked about last night, luck or what have you. After doing all this research for so long and studying so many different people and the backgrounds and the history and the practice of what they do to become great. Did it change your perspective on sports, or did it change your perspective on these people who you looked up to or idolized uh, mm. and in younger years?
3: I mean, one thing that I, I sort of... Going into the process was was my curiosity was that I wanted to uh, See and understand if if the athletes that I admire the greatest ever if they ever had to compromise their their vision or conform um, in order to kind of Achieve what they did is there is there that level of sort of conformity and I think you know what I've found in sort of in some ways confirmation that they they really didn't and they sort of knew who they were and and they knew what their weaknesses were and and, and they knew what was going to make them great you know within within sort of a, a team structure um, but they never really they found people that encouraged their abilities their creativity and 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 embraced it and sort of let it flourish and if they didn't have somebody like that, a coach, let's say Gretzky, for instance, then they just sort of went to a different team and found people that that, that supported their creative efforts. Um, so, and I and I also I was surprised by the fact of how excited these these athletes were and discussing, you know, the idea of creativity and artistry in sport because I feel like it's not something they're asked very much and 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 they clearly believe that that it's you know of kind of fundamental importance to their success so
4: and you can see that definitely in the documentary i would i would completely
3: there's other aspects Yeah. but like you know as you see like with psychology and genetics and parenting and, but it it's all comes back to sort of creativity, freedom, and play.
4: like unstructured,
3: yeah,
4: unstructured play was what you talked about. It's
3: the foundation of greatness. Yeah. In filmmaking, it's exactly the same. Where you know, sports is a form of entertainment. People pay money. They want to be entertained. They want to uh, experience something that they've never experienced before. The same in filmmaking. That if you're if you're constantly seeing the same films over and over again or variations of them, I don't think that that's very interesting. You know. And we want something new. We want we want to see something that makes you grow and question things, and a new style, a new way of looking at things, a new expression. And it's the same in sports. I, for instance, have very low attention span, and demand demand a lot of uh, my work and other work not to be boring, you know, and so I. I always say, you know, it's like everybody once they get the puck or the ball, what are they going to do with it? You know, the same in filmmaking. What are you going to do to entertain people, to make move them? You could you could just do something standard or you can really take a risk.
4: What is a subject that you haven't tackled yet that you're interested in tackling in the future or something that you want to study as a documentary?
3: Um, well, I mean, I think it's kind of similar to what we were discussing before, that I never really want to do anything similar. Um, I I hope that, yeah, I hope that, I just want to kind of keep exploring new territory and I want to, you know, different forms, so not, you know, narrative filmmaking, documentary and maybe some hybrid, maybe, um... TV, yeah, I just never want to feel like I'm repeating myself, or it's already out there, this idea is already out there, you know, I don't want to repeat things, you know, I don't want, I don't want to put anything out there that, yeah, isn't in some way adding to, uh, bringing something new, you know, Mm. so... And then... But subject matter, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I... somehow I tend, because I've made a couple of successful sports-related documentaries, I get them, I get people sending me things, and obviously offers and stuff like that, but I kind of cringe, but ironically the next thing I'm almost done with is a, is a do- another documentary that is sports-related, but again, has nothing, It it's like Fargo or Big Lebowski, but it, It's related, like a business venture, a sports business venture. So.
4: Hmm. Final question. Um, You mentioned that you had some interest in Eastern philosophy last night in the screening, Um, and I did notice that you put chanting while you were. Yeah, you were showing. That was very interesting. uh, How you kind of. Intersected a meditative practice with sports. Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah, so, yeah, I'm very interested in, I mean, now it's sort of cheesy, but I'm interested in Eastern thought ever since I was like 15 years old. And it has to do with sport because I was always trying to understand how the mind works, visualization, and self-hypnosis. Uh, um, and in doing a little bit of that research, you come across. T- you know, like Eastern philosophy, which is a lot about just being present and being aware and kind of meditating. Because being in sport, I mean, basically in anything, when you're doing it, you have to let go of everything. You've got to just be there and in the flow and sort of react as things go. You can't think. You've got to... And so I found those things related to my sport, and that's what initially got me interested. And then now it's just... I think that those ideas or you know I read a little bit before I go to bed let's say of like Taoist philosophy or um, you know Zen Buddhism or um, Krishnamurti you know I just find a lot of it to be kind of almost relaxing in a way and sort of if if I was able to live more like that that I would be healthier because uh, I'd be more kind of uh, relaxed and going with the flow, not worrying and not sort of get caught up in in sort of these cycles of fear and anxiety and uh, because that never brings anyone any good, you know, it's not even a useful thing, you know? So yeah, it's just basically using those ideas to live healthier and also be a better filmmaker. And better husband or whatever it is you're doing Mm -hmm. is to be present and not not get not be patient, not get caught up in nonsense, and uh, and sort of really stay stay kind of centered on what's really kind of important. So, do you
1: have anything else you want to
3: add? You know, I I hope that basically you know film clubs and 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 people can really watch this movie together and and might maybe talk about it afterwards and uh, that's kind of a big component of of what of what we're trying to do is get people to go together to the theater so i don't know if this is washington based if it is you know we're opening at amc georgetown and on november 2nd and excited to hear hear what everybody thinks so
5: Hey everybody, this is writer-director Sharon Lewis of the Afrofuturist film Brown Go Begins and you're listening to it's Your Log.
0: You're listening to Picture Lock, I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and my next guest, Dan Brawley, is the chief instigating officer of the Kukuloris Festival, an international celebration of filmmaking, performance, and technology in Wilmington, North Carolina. Founded in 1994 by Twinkle Dune, Kukuloris screens more than 300 films with a range of multidisciplinary programs focusing on dance, social justice, cocktails, entrepreneurship, and performance. Loris has been recognized as one of the 25 coolest film festivals in the world by Movie Maker Magazine. You have the opportunity to attend the festival November 7th through 11th in Wilmington, North Carolina. Dan, I know that was a long intro, but welcome to Picture Lock.
2: Hey, man. Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure, man. I, I, I'm really excited to talk about uh, Kukaloris this year. But the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film?
2: You know, um, I I got locked in the library at Duke University when I was a sophomore in college, and I had to spend the night there, and I found a box of Russian avant-garde 16-millimeter films and found a projector <laughs> and sat in a bathroom where the walls were really nice and white and watched films for eight hours. Um, so... I mean, that's not entirely true. I did spend a lot of time in the library <laughs> when I was in college watching Russian Avatar films. I only wish I had gotten locked in the library one night. Um, Dude, I was about to but, say,
0: that was the best uh, first question answer I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> you know, I got, I, 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 um, we had a Bolex. There was a Bolex in a box at the library, and you could check it out. And uh, this guy named Roger Warren Beebe always had it checked out. And so I never got to use it. But, um, yeah, I, I really got got hooked on, you know, exploring the world through cinema when I was a student. So in my, you know, late teens and early 20s
0: totally makes sense uh, still let's just go with the locked in the bathroom theory I'm gonna I'm gonna spread that rumor <laughs> around uh, so Dan the f- next question that I want to ask is like how did you go from being locked in the library at Duke University to uh, becoming the chief instigating officer at the Kucallos festival
2: like a lot of young folks who are creative and looking for creative careers I, I-, I probably should have ended up in New York or LA or somewhere cool like Austin, Texas. Um, but there was a film studio right here in Wilmington, and um, you know it was a little bit easier to get a job, to get your foot in the door. And so I, I landed in Wilmington after graduating from Duke and uh, got a job working in the industry. And I met the folks who founded the festival, um, and I started showing up. I volunteered. I think it was in 1997. Maybe I was a volunteer and I just kept showing up and I started showing up every day. And another sort of half joke is uh, I tell people that I I was in the office one day and somebody called the phone number at Kugel and asked who was in charge. And I looked around the room, and there was nobody else there, so I said that I was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it all started, folks. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the chief instigating officer of the Kukaloris Film Festival, uh, Dan Brawley. Uh, Dan probably messed up right there and said Kukaloris Film Festival. It's more than Uh just... Films. So, if you could, let's go ahead and get into Kukuloris. What is it all about? Uh, It's taking place November 7th through 11th in Wilmington, North Carolina. What can folks expect to see this year?
2: Yeah, the festival, I mean, it's still a film festival. We're still showing, you know, hundreds of films and that's still the, you know, the pillar or the foundation of everything that we do um, comes from the power of storytelling and the power of cinema. So you're going to see an incredible lineup of films. Uh, there are a couple of films that have been on the festival circuit, like Wild Nights with Emily, Mapplethorpe. There's some other films that are just getting getting out onto the circuit, like Jewels of Light and Dark. And so yeah, there's an incredible lineup of festival hits, of new films that are just hitting the festival circuit, spread out all over downtown Wilmington. You can go to our website to read about those. One of the films that I'm really excited about, uh, I caught the world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival just a few months ago, is a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. And it's one of the most inspiring films I've seen in years about a couple who get evicted from their L.A. apartment because they've adopted this dog that barks all day. And so they decide to move out into the countryside and start a farm. Um, And it's a really fascinating look at how nature is this puzzle and if you slow down long enough and pay attention you could figure out how to you know how to work with you know the natural world to to solve problems and so um i'm really excited about that that plays on saturday at kookalorus
0: awesome so let's say if i am a first time attendee right it seems like it's so much to kind of uh, take in at once. How would you say that I look at, you know, creating my own schedule for the weekend? Because I mean, you got stage performances as well. Um, you know, how can I how can I attack this?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it does take a little bit of planning. If you've been to film festivals before, you know that like the, the the way you do it is that you spend a couple of nights the week before the festival on the website reading about all this stuff and you write it down and you make a plan and you're like, Wednesday, I'm going to do this. You know, um, at Kukaloris opening night, it's a little bit easier. Wednesday night, we have our uh, dance performance. And so uh, dance is a live stage event in a beautiful historic theater in downtown Wilmington called Thalian Hall. Um, mostly choreographers who are experimenting with film. So it's a, you know, mashup on stage of live dance and film. Um, And then right after that is uh, Super Chunk, um, this pop punk band um, that goes way back to the 90s and um, has uh, just put out one of the best albums of the year. Definitely go check out Super Chunk's new album. Um, So they're our open night concert. Um, And then, you know, it gets harder. Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, there's five or six events going on at any time. And like I was saying, you know, you're prepping for a festival. You do a little research on the website. You map out a really good plan. And really, as soon as you get to the festival, you throw that plan away and you just let, you know, your new friends lead the way. You hear about this film that people just saw. It's really great. And you kind of, you know, go with the flow. And so I, that's what I would encourage people to do. Um, now, if you've never been to a film festival before and you're like, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> uh, you know, films start at nine ten a.m. in the morning and you um, I think for me, that's always I try to get up when I go to film festivals. Now, you're going to be up late at night. And so um, 10 a.m. might not sound early, but at a film festival it is. Uh, But I do always try to catch a film at 10 a.m. Some of my favorite experiences, you know, I can remember working at the Edinburgh Film Festival years ago. And man, those morning screens were the best. Uh, I got to grab a cup of coffee and go um, into the cinema. and so I always start my day off by catching a film in the morning and then letting the day kind of um, unfold from there. At Cougalorus, that you know can take you into our Visual Soundwalls Lounge, which is an interactive uh, venue that includes music videos on six different screens. And then in the evening, a fringe style showcase of experimental theater, comedy, and music. Uh, and, and on Thursday and Friday during during the festival, there's a full schedule of panel discussions and breakout sessions from people in technology. So this year that part of the program is broken into gig tech, so looking at the way we work and looking at how artificial intelligence is changing the way we work. Um, FinTech, looking at how banking is going into the cloud, health tech, so what are the what are the you know apps and the other tools that people are using to become healthier humans and Startups, we have a whole program for young companies, uh, really lots of fun. I mean, I think my, one of my favorite things at Google Arts is this program called the 10 by 10 Challenge, where we match 10 young companies with 10 filmmakers and they have five days to make a promo video. And then they screen on Sunday. Um, always tons of fun. Five or six of them are going to be amazing. A few of them will be funny and then a few of them will be like, man, what happened? Um, and anybody <laughs> who's tried to make a three minute or a five minute video or any kind of a film or video knows that uh trying to do that in four days is a is an ambitious goal um yeah so that gives you a little bit of a, a kind of view of um what happens at kugeloris there are more and more performances this year and so i think you know if i was mapping out my schedule i would probably cap it off on sunday afternoon we have a really special opportunity Rhiannon giddens who is, uh a lot of people will remember her from the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Um, she's going to be performing with um, on stage in, this, in a sort of mixture of performance and historical um, conversation, looking at songs from the 1890s that deal with race and how um, songs have for, for centuries been a way to um, heal and understand challenging moments.
0: Yeah, man, this all sounds amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock on WERA. I'm talking with the chief instigating officer of the Kukuloris Festival, Dan Brawley. Dan, uh, two questions before we kind of wrap out here. One, so you don't know this, but I just moved down from the DC area about a year and a half ago to Charlotte, North Carolina. The first thing that happened when I got into Charlotte as I talked about, you know, being a film festival director, film critic, all this stuff, people said, "You got to check out have you have you gone to the Kukaloris Film Festival?" And <laughs> so it's it's amazing. Like as soon as I got into North Carolina, it's kind of like Kukaloris is, you know, definitely the festival that everybody's talking about. Obviously, this is a twenty fourth annual festival. Um, but the thing about it, it just seems as though Kukaloris is just, it seems a little zany, but it's fun, uh, a good time. And so I guess my question is, you know, how have you guys over the years branded yourselves to become like this fun festival that has film and theater and uh, like you said, fintech, all this, all these different mediums that come together for this festival?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and obviously, you know, I've... Um, only have this very unique perspective of being deep in the middle of Kukaloris. And the reality is that when we talked a lot about this um, in the last year or so, that Kukaloris is a, is, is actually a community. It's a, it's a network of creative people spread all over the world who have either been to the festival once or twice or come every year. Um, and so the festival, the five days in November, is kind of like Christmas for this family of people who um, <laughs> support each other and are spread all over the place. Uh, you know, there's a group that meets once a month in a in a pub in Brooklyn. You know, a alumni. It's a Kukuloris Thursday nights. Um, so, you know, the boundaries aren't is 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 neat and easy. Um, and I think the other thing that really drives us and the reason that we're a community. Uh, of, of creative people connected to each other around the world is that we are having a good time i mean the festival is is fun and there's all sorts of sort of strange things happening um but at the core our our values you know we, we're really dedicated to trying to achieve equity and supporting uh communities who have been oppressed over over time 50% of the films in the festival are directed by women, and we've been doing that for years. You know, I keep hearing festivals say, oh, we're going to do that in about 2021 or something. It's like, man, no, no, no. Do <laughs>
0: yeah. that
2: today. Do it today. Like, you know, I'm tired of hearing promises about things like that. Right. And so um, that's really part of what drives us. So when the party's over and the, you know, and the bar is put away and the cinema is, 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 is closed up, Uh, that's what we're doing is we gather and we talk about how can we change the world. Um, Mm. And so, you know, that's really what drives. us. And I think, you know, when you, when you ask about how do we stitch together technology and all that um, at the core of it, we really believe in the value of storytelling And, 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 and cinema is the ultimate tool for storytelling um, but we're also telling stories, you know, every day with our phones and in and, 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 and all sorts of amazing ways. And so that's kind of how we've expanded the umbrella is, you know, what is happening? What kind of people who are the people that are doing? Innovative and new things on stage, right, whether it's comedy or theater or music. Um, and what are what are who are the people that are doing the same thing in the business world uh, who are taking the new tools that we have um, and telling important stories um, that might help us change the world.
0: Man, I love that. And I cannot wait to link up with you because I definitely agree 100%. I think film can change the world. It is Uh, a huge empathy machine, but what we're really getting at, like you said, is just storytelling. So one last question, Uh, you know, obviously Wilmington has been hit this hurricane season, and, uh, you know, film festivals always stimulate an economy. So if you could just let us know kind of like how things are on the ground and even what, you know, people attending will really mean to the city of Wilmington.
2: Yeah, boy, the timing was was rough for us you know we basically got wiped off the map for about two weeks and so i think we're still uh a little bit gaining our you know our balance after hurricane florence i've been through tons and tons of hurricanes and for some reason this one hit was really special in the way that it disrupted people's lives and um you know so we have staff members and board members who are still trying to find homes for you know, their family members who were flooded out of different parts of North Carolina. Wow. Um, and so there's, you know, a lot of, we're, we're holding strong, um, but we felt, you know, that also at the same time this year's festival serves as a chance to celebrate our strength, celebrate that sense of community. Um, and so we hope that the festival is a place where people can come to heal and to, to um, you know, connect with each other for that kind of support that you can only get from other, other people. Yeah, and, I, you know, for folks who are coming down to visit, you know, you're going to see, you know, beautiful 250-year-old oak trees, you know, chopped off because they fell down. You're going to see roofs ripped off of buildings, but at the same time, right next to that building that has the roof ripped off, there's a, you know, 150-year-old church that's doing fine and, and holding tight. So um, it's a mixed bag. Uh, those, those storms really um, impact different communities in different ways. And um, we even have a breakout session where we'll be talking about uh, how race impacts uh, the recovery from events like Hurricane Florence. And so I'm really interested to hear from some of the people who are part of that effort, who are providing services, um, to hear from them about what the reality is like, um, on the ground in those situations.
0: Yeah, man. Wow. That sounds uh, like that conversation will definitely be interesting, but, um, all the more reason to definitely celebrate the 24th annual Kugeloris festival. Again, I've been talking with Dan Brawley, the chief instigating officer at the festival. Dan, as we wrap out here, how can folks get tickets, check out the schedule, follow you guys on social media.
2: Yeah, man, the best place to go is our website, kookaloris.org. And um, yeah, check it all out. Reach out to anybody on our team if you need help, you know, navigating the festival or if you have questions. uh, We love talking to people about kookaloris and about what's happening next week. So come down and join us in Wilmington. Check out the website, kookaloris.org for all the details.
0: Dan Brawley, thanks for coming on Picture Lock.
2: Hey, man, anytime.
0: Let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post. I'm Kevin Sampson and my online course PR for the Indie Filmmaker does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist and festival director, I realized that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your films, PR, and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Picture Lock question of the week last week was, what's your favorite dystopian future film? On Instagram, at Becky McComsky said, Blade Runner, easily. That soundtrack owned my life for a couple good years there. The newest Blade Runner was solid and both paid such respect to noir as a genre while putting us into a bleak future. It set the stage for so much that came after, it's hard to be in that same level. At Henry Leaker said, The Planet of the Apes movies, especially the new ones with Andy Serkis. Thanks, Becky and Henry, for leaving your thoughts on last week's question, this week's question of the week. In honor of In Search of Greatness, what's your favorite sports film? Leave me a message 60 seconds or less on what that movie is and why, and I'm going to do my best to play it on the show next week. 202-350-1351. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com and I'll read your answer next episode. All right, guys, about to jump into my interview with Jenna Lorenzo. She is the director, writer, star of Les Bomb. Now, again, this movie is going to be in theaters November 9th. Now, simultaneously, the film will also be playing at the Kukaloris Film Festival uh, Thursday, November 8th and 9th, so you can check it out there. Also, if you are in NYC at Roxy Cinema, they'll be having a Q&A with Jenna along with the cast and team on November 9th. Um, it's playing all over, you know, the, the nation, uh, D.C., L.A., uh, Austin. Uh, so definitely, if you go to lesbomovie.com, you get more information on this film. But I just thought it was so cool that it just so happened Dan Brawley of Kukaloris came on the show, and it's going to be playing at Kukaloris. Uh, Again, uh, you can check out picturelockshow.com. I actually uh, have a review up on the film. Uh, It's definitely a a funny film that you got to see with a group when you go into uh, a theater. But without further ado, let's get into my interview with Jenna Lorenzo.
5: Hi, everybody. This is Leah Meyerhoff, the founder of Film Pay Calls. You can learn more about us at FilmFatals.org or hashtag FilmFatals. And you're listening to Picture Lock.
0: You're listening to Picture Lock on W-E-R-A-L-P-Arlington. I'm Kevin Sampson and Les Bomb is a multi-generational comedy of errors featuring a young woman who comes home for the holidays with some life-changing news. Little does Lauren know the eccentric cast of characters have their own stirring surprises as well. The result is a hilarious turn of events, forcing the family to come together in a ceremonious series of coincidences. I am shocked that I was able to read that. (laughs) That was a good one. I have the film's writer-director on the line, Jenna Lorenzo. Jenna, welcome to Picture Lock
5: yeah thanks for having me you did a real good job with that I mean, there's a, there a lot of um,
0: <laughs> ceremonious lot of, uh, coincidences yeah. wow <laughs> I know it rolled, off, it
5: rolled off your tongue though it really rolled off your tongue
0: I appreciate that you're about to bring the um, southern out of me cause like sometimes when there's these certain words like I just uh, the Columbia South Carolina kid comes out uh... but hey, Jenna welcome to the show thanks for coming on
5: yeah no thanks for having me it means a lot
0: So Jenna, first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film?
5: So I've always loved movies. Uh, I think that the the movie that really made me want to make movies was A League of Their Own. Um, I just fell in love with that movie and the amount of characters, the uh, the ensemble of it and how well it was told, and um, maybe because I grew up. Playing sports, I'm not sure. I just like the, the the collaboration and teamwork involved in making movies, and that movie sort of set me off on this um, on this journey that I'm continuing on.
0: Yeah, you know. Jenna, I think that A League of Their Own is definitely one of those classic films directed by Penny Marshall. I mean, there's still, like, who who doesn't say there's no crying in baseball? Like, it, you know, <laughs> there's so many quotables. Um, but it's, it's definitely one of the ones that, like, I can understand how that movie magic. Man, Gina Davis, Madonna, like, uh, Rosie. It was so many different stars in there. But like you said, that that team effort of making the film, and of course it's about baseball, so, you know, as a team sport and all that good stuff, but it had heart and all that good stuff, so, yeah, I definitely feel you on that one.
5: Yeah, like, I think that the having heart, really, that's where, like, I'm most interested in telling stories from, and it was, I don't know if... You know, we we actually premiered the film at Gina Davis's festival in Bentonville, and we won. But I got to sit with Gina Davis and be like, "A Leak of Their Own" <laughs> is the movie that made me want to make movies.
0: Oh, man, that had to have been awesome.
5: It was incredible. It really was.
0: Wow, man, I would love to get into that even further. And I guess we kind of have the time for it. But uh, I I do want to focus on you right now. Uh, If you could give us a history lesson. Like, how did you go from uh, the girl that loved a league of (laughs) their own to the woman who's directing Lesbom? How'd you break into the industry?
5: Oh gosh. Um, well, I—I I mean, I've always been really interested in making movies and telling stories. And I was the—I um, was the person in high school who was always carrying around a video camera. And I just like my senior year, I was filming all of my my friends for like everywhere, all their antics, and and they're terrified this this footage is going to resurface. But I had like 35 hours of unedited film, and <laughs> I cut it down. I cut it down to this two-hour, like documentary of our senior year and like had a party and premiered it. And so like, I feel like that was at that point, I fell in love with like editing and like, and and just putting moving pictures together and looking for the uncomfortable, funny moments in life. And um, after I graduated, I went to uh, Carnegie Mellon where I studied writing and directing undergrad and, and some acting. Um, And then after school, I did an acting conservatory. And then I immediately just started writing and creating content and putting it on the web uh, and I think there's, there's no better way to find your voice and get immediate feedback than, than throwing something up there and you know, letting the Internet sort of tell you how they feel about it.
0: Wow. Uh, uh, let's just rewind this really quickly. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to watch that movie, even though like, I didn't grow up with you. I don't know any <laughs> of your friends. Like, I just have a feeling that that movie, hard, hard as it may be to watch in some parts, like, it's just going to be like, this nice slice of life.
5: Oh my, it's, it's hilarious. There's so (laughs) many, there's, there's so many moments of dancing to Madonna's like a prayer that like, when I look back and I look at the amount of times we felt it was appropriate to take over a dance floor to do our own choreographed <laughs> version of that song, it's amazing that people just didn't punt us off the dance floor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I am talking to the writer-director of Les Bomb, Jenna Lorenzo, uh, who probably has like her own little Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion video. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, that is... That's what that's what I see with that. Like I just see you guys like uh on the dance floor and then like randomly as w- it always happens in movies. Like um you, everybody joins to, I
5: in. Have, I have to tell you, um, I went as Romy and Michelle with my my friend <laughs> Megan Carey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> Jenna, we are fast friends right now. Um I, I love it. You know, <laughs> That, that last <laughs> dance sequence with like the three of them or whatever, like that is just classic to me. Every time I hear that song, that's all, that's all time after time, that's all I ever think. So um, we are cool right now. Oh, you right and now.
5: me both. Yeah, I think <laughs> me and you need to go find a dance floor and, and recreate
1: this moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yo, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to find you at some film festival and um, I'm going to just pay the DJ and we'll we'll make it happen i going to hold you to it <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Jenna, if you can In your own words What is Lesbom all about? And I really, I, I love the fact that you said I wrote Lesbom because it was the movie I wanted to see But couldn't find I can identify with that uh, so much So if you could, in your own words What is this movie all about? So
5: I, I grew up loving those family ensembles, the dysfunctional family stories, like the meet the parents, the family stone, Little Miss Sunshine, and these, these dysfunctional family dynamics, like I was just endlessly entertained by. And when I wa- was coming out of the closet, I wanted, I wanted this theme to be touched upon within the context of these stories. That we we have seen and felt familiar and felt very familiar and in many ways I wanted I wanted Lesbom to feel like this broad relatable comedy that had a modern twist but it but was was a throwback to these films that that um, a lot a lot of me myself my, like myself personally was very nostalgic towards but I had found a lot of people that I was talking to miss these films. And I felt like if I could recreate that sort of sensibility and have it feel familiar, then for those who still, you know, judged and maybe didn't understand or lacked compassion and empathy, that familiarity creates this, like, access point in, particularly with comedy, because you can really unite an audience through laughter. And so I just felt like, you know, creating um, this story with an all-American holiday as the backdrop would hopefully be an access point into the, the, the lead sort of journey throughout Life Bomb.
0: So, um, if you could for a second, cause man, I, I, I want to go somewhere, so many different places with this interview, but like you, are you're actually the star of the film as well, correct?
5: Right, yes. <laughs>
0: So uh, talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, you wrote it, you're directing it, you're starring in it. This is an extremely personal film for you. What was that process like? And, like, how do you feel now that, you know, the film is out and it's on the big screen?
5: Yeah, so I spent six years trying to get this made, trying to attach a lead actress and trying to attach a director. And it was really difficult to get anybody to commit to that because if you don't have money... And, like, you can't really make them commit. And when I was meeting with financiers, they wanted to meet the whole team. So it became this, this cycle that was just impossible. So after, after six years and just, like, being fatigued, I just decided to do it myself. And, and in the future, like, I loved the process. I loved everything about creating Les Bomb, and I wouldn't have done it differently now. But I would really like to focus on directing stuff that I'm writing in the future and then asking in other people's work, because I think in doing it all together, um, it was just so much and it forced me to grow in so many different ways. But now I would sort of like to broaden beyond that and hopefully have a little bit more flexibility.
0: Yeah. You know, I think I, I can totally relate to you in terms of being a control freak. And but sometimes like in an effort to. Uh, do the story justice. You know, we kind of got to let go of those things, and I think that's kind of yeah. like what you're what you're talking about. Um, one one other question I had is I, I want to see, and this is going to cement our friendship, Jenna. Um
1: yes.
0: Rachel getting married. Do you enjoy that show, that movie?
5: Very much.
0: I I, I knew it. I, I was just like, you know what? From hearing <laughs> what you said in terms of ensemble films. That is one of the slept on films that I think, like, in terms of a real slice of life, family coming yeah. together. Like, the scene that I remember the most is the dishwashing or dishwasher packing. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah it's like so for the audience that doesn't know, um, this is a Jonathan Demi film, and in it, um, what's her name? Uh, oh, the star, oh, goodness. Uh, um, uh, uh, pr- yeah, come on, Catwoman and uh, Anne, Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, thank you, thank you. All right, so Anne Hathaway, you know she has her issues. Um, she comes home. It's like uh, around the holiday, but there's this scene where like the family is divided into teams, and they try to see like who is gonna pack the dishwasher, like, get the most dishes in the dishwasher. (laughs) And it's like a race. And it's such a random, like, mundane thing. But at the same time, like, that's – it's those little moments as a a family that, like – family. Yeah,
1: family. Yeah,
0: and you're you're making those memories. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, I have a new best friend. Her name is (laughs) (laughs) Jenna Lorenzo. She is the writer, director, star of Les Bomb.
5: Uh, I'm very excited about this.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sorry, man. Like this is totally, we're just going off in another direction. But um, I really do appreciate the fact that you understand how to deliver medicine through sugar. And I think um, by making a film like this, uh, something relatable, something that people, you know, you can see your, your, your own family in it. It really helps. So Uh, One of the things I wanted to ask you about, just in terms of, you know, the the comedy aspect of it, you do have, um, you know, a, a great little ensemble. What was it like just working with, you know, your cast and putting this together?
1: So
5: the entire process was just very incredible in terms of everyone being so collaborative and open and supportive, and you know Bobby Fairley, who directed you know Dumb and Dumber and Mary, he came on as my executive producer and really became an incredible mentor and friend in this process. And in terms of like comedy, like there's no better there's no better person to like bounce things off of and like um, gain insight and perspective. And even in the editing room, like talking about allowing moments to breathe, so when people laugh. You, they can still hear the next joke, and then and then the cast we have, we they really really just understand comedy. I mean, Chloë Leachman, every single time before like I said, action, she would make sure she knew exactly where the camera was and make sure she was doing something hilarious as the cameras, as everything started rolling. So we would pick her up doing, like, she's just so aware where the camera is, what's funny, how to make a moment funnier. Bruce Dern, he's the exact same way. Like, working with these people, it was like, it was like such an education of, like, why they are, are legend's. <laughs> and, like, and seeing and yeah and see it seeing it come to life. I mean Kevin Pollack is incredible, and Steve Gutenberg, Elaine Hendricks from the Parent Trap. I mean come on right. Meredith from the Parent Trap. Like every like I I learned so much going into the edit and watching Elaine's um, performance because if there she made every single scene like like she punched it up in so many different ways and gave me so many options, um, and so I felt like as a uh as a novice in <laughs> going into this edit I it was an education on so many levels with these people who like I have grown up watching and I and now I continue to learn from and be in awe over
0: you know um we're running out of time here unfortunately and maybe we'll just um man one thing I would love to do and I haven't done this yet um but I would love to have like a director come on and maybe we just like watch the movie together and like literally talk through the film this would obviously be for the podcast but um oh my god that'd
5: be awesome yeah i
0: feel like that would just be so much fun if if we could just kind of wrap it out uh uh, for for this radio portion of the interview Um, One thing that I'm always fascinated with is, especially for the indie filmmaker that is listening, when you start to move into the next stratosphere of your filmmaking, right? So you're working with a lot of heavy hitters, like you said, um, Bruce Dern. I mean, you could go through the whole cast, basically. How did you swallow those nerves, come to work, and say, hey, I am going to direct this legend, you know? like? There's a magic in that because at at some point it's either uh, I'm gonna go just be in the restroom and you know be afraid, or I'm gonna come on set and I'm gonna do my thing. Um, So how did you find that that power?
5: So I mean, look, there's no way out of the fact that these like there's like you you cannot be not intimidated by people you're in awe over. But I felt like uh, there was such a support net, and they had such confidence. In what i in, in the vision that i had for the film that i had like spent so many years creating like 150 drafts of the script at least and i just had a very clear idea of what the film was the message i wanted it to have and the tone and sense comedic sensibility and i think that by being very crystal clear in what every scene was about like it didn't really allow nerves to slip in. Also, we had to shoot the movie in a 15 day schedule of three, like with three pickup days. So like, I didn't really have the luxury of time to, 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 um, overthink and get too anxious. Cause it was like go time,
0: <laughs> <Right>. but, like,
5: <laughs> but like being very close and being very focused to the project really helps, um, just like crystallize the vision and always leaning into that and, you know, not allowing the nerves to like, allow you to question something you've been with for so long.
0: All right. I feel like you just dropped some value bombs right there. Uh, once again, it's writer-director of Les Bomb, Jenna Lorenzo. Jenna, thanks so much for coming on the show. But if you could Thank really... Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it's been my pleasure. We're best friends now. Um, <laughs> if you could let folks know how they can uh, find the film, follow you guys on social media, etc.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find the film at Les Bomb Movie on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. You can find me at, at Jenna Lorenzo, and my last name's L-A-U, <laughs> L-A-U-R-E-N-Z-O. And please reach out. We'd be happy to talk and, you know, talk more with anyone who uh, wants to.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much again, Jenna, for coming on. This is awesome.
5: Thank you for having me. It's been a blast.
0: That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Julia Morales, Gabe Polsky, Dan Brawley, and Jenna Lorenzo for coming on the show. For you radio listeners, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear Jenna's after-show conversation with me. Plus, I'll have the unlocked version of Julia's interview with Gabe as they talked about tons more that I couldn't fit on the radio broadcast. You can do that in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. If you're a fan of Alexa Skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast, and I'll come right up. Please feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. It helps to get it out to more folks. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at YouTube.com slash Picture Lock Show and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out a form on the website picture lock question of the week this week is what's your favorite sports film leave me a voicemail at 202-350-1351 or send me an email at picturelockshow show at gmail.com or message me on any of picture Lock's social media pages and let me know what your answer is and i'll play or read it on next week's show our music is done by mike as the producer one three Make sure you follow him on all things social media and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next
2: time, I hope you stay locked on film.